Welcome to the Ultimate Coach Podcast, Conversations from Being, inspired by the book, The Ultimate Coach, written by Amy Hardison and Alan Thompson. Join us each week with the intention of expanding your state of being, and your experience will be remarkable. Remember, this is a podcast about being. It is a podcast about you. To explore more deeply, visit theultimatecoachbook.com. Now, enjoy today's conversation from B. Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Coach Podcast. I'm Meredith Bell, one of your hosts for the show. You are going to love our guest today. I know I do. Her name is Gina Carlson. Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you, Meredith. I'm happy to be here. I'm so excited because when I read the book of being known as the ultimate coach, I was drawn in by your stories and I've reread them multiple times. They're some of my favorites in the book and I'm so looking forward to exploring some of those as part of our conversation today. And I am guessing my listeners will too, as we get into that, but I'll identify which chapter so they can go check it out after our conversation. I think a good place to start is for you to describe how did you first learn about Steve Hardison? I know you coached with him, what, nine years ago. And so tell us a little bit about your journey to finding him. Yeah. So, you know, nothing for me is coincidence in my life. I just completed about four years at the University of Santa Monica. I was a student and then a volunteer. And it was the end of 2013. And my son was in his first, he had just come home from his first semester in college. So I was living in my very first phase of that empty nest kind of trauma. Like you come home, you drop him at college and then you come home and, and it's like, what? There's no hand clapping there. What, you know, there's no, nobody there ushering you on to your next fuller identity of life. And I uh, ended up New Year's Eve, 2013 joining a friend at a Byron Katie New Year's Eve weekend. And Steve Hardison was there. And my friend nudged me and said, that's Steve Hardison. And I knew of him because he's a University of Santa Monica graduate. I, uh, I'll never forget my first view of him. I just saw this magnificent presence. And in, in his stature, he's tall in his um, just you know, in the world of men, he's, you can't miss Steve in a room. And then his energy and his smile and the way he dressed, and he was there with Lindsay, uh, Lil, his daughter. I just, my heart started to pound and I didn't like the feeling because I, in just historically that for me means this is a meeting. This is something for me. And I didn't know what it was. And I was a little tapped out on, uh, you know, I'd been, 15 years with coaching or getting my master's or different kinds of transformational practices. And yet I also was 
feeling a little bit uncertain about what was next for me. I had a thriving career at the time, but I felt like I had a larger contribution to make. And so much of the why of everything that I did in corporate was to be a good provider for my son. And it was not a natural habitat for me. And really, when I think about what was my goal for a lot of that journey incorporated was just to not get fired, was just to get my numbers in sales. And, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, having a spectacular, amazing, meaningful career there. But I knew there was more. And there's Steve Hardison. And uh, an introduction was made. And he invited me to have dinner with him on New Year's Eve at the Byron Katie event. And I was so, his presence and his sincerity and his his invitation, it was so powerful. I said yes and, and made calls, changed plans. And so that was my first experience with Steve Hardison. And our dinner was very ordinary. It was very having dinner with a friend. We just got to know each other and he asked me what I was up to and what I was going for in my life. And that just kind of launched, you know, two months later, I was writing that first check and lots happened in those first eight weeks before I started coaching with him February 1st, 2014, right around there, give or take a day. And uh, what I went through in those eight weeks between New Year's Eve and, and, uh, Okay, I don't do math very well. Five weeks, wait, February, New Year's Eve till the beginning of February. What I went through was such a shift and such a an upgrade. Just even thinking that big of a possibility of hiring a coach who commanded that rate and the level of commitment that it was. Because as you know, you don't you don't do Zoom with Steve Hardison. You you fly to Arizona and you're on time and, and you'd be ready and present for, for the experience. So. Well, you know, so it's so interesting, Gina, that you, you talked about the writing the big check because that was one of the stories in the book <laughs> that I read and I thought, Oh, this is so fascinating because I think it was chapter um, the cost of coaching was the name of the chapter. And in that you, have a little vignette about um, asking Steve for the single mom discount. Yeah. And, well, and it he, made sense, right? Yeah. And so tell us about his response and what you did then to come up with the fee to pay him as a single yeah. mom. Yeah. So, so to be really honest with you, his response really surprised me. It, it basically was no, no. And it was firm and loving, but it was, here's why I'd never do that to you. I'd never disempower you. I would never not be for you and the possibility that if you want this, you can have it. And if you're committed to it, resources are going to show up. And and he kind of sent me on my merry way in this beautiful confidence and and love and encouragement. And he was excited to work with like it was it was um I really was feeling his 
valuing the opportunity to coach me. I was feeling that it was sincere. It was, it was, um, there was a resonance there. And so, yeah, go to the airport, get on the plane. And I got out one of those little Southwest napkins and a pen. And I'm like, okay, you know, what are the ways I could do this? And all the obvious ones, you know, I could sell my house. (laughs) I could, I could, I could borrow the money. There was all these ways that I could put it on credit cards. I have really good credit. Like there were all these, I could bust into the retirement. There were all these ways that, that were sort of the first wave of ideas. And I, and I, and none of them, they weren't right. They didn't feel abundant. They didn't feel like they were coming from me being in the unknown, asking the question. They just kind of felt like my strategic mind, you know, figuring it out, angling for a way and, and nothing wrong with that. It's been a way I've done it that way in life. And usually though, it's stressful. And in hindsight, you know, I've been able to see there's better ways, but I just sat with it. And, um, and what I had to, come to in myself, what I came to in myself was really the thing to deal with was a sense of unworthiness that deep down blocking my creativity of what's, what are the possibilities here for this? Where, where could the resources come from? They were on the other side of this really deep unconscious sense of unworthiness. And so I sat with that and sat with that. And I had just been hired by a company. I'd been recruited um, to come to this company in my industry that was recently taken over by a CEO that I had previously worked with earlier in my career. And I'm working for this company. It's a struggling company. I, uh, I met with the CEO and I said, here's what's going on. You know, you brought me over here. You believe in me, but I need help. And I would like Steve Hardison on my team to help me do this. And so he was very um, supportive in giving me whatever the resources I needed to be successful for him at this company. And so we just structured, it just really was a restructuring of my comp package in, in such a way that uh, Steve's fee was covered basically. And, you know, I never would have asked. It never would have occurred to me to ask. It never would have. I wouldn't have never seen that creative possibility if I hadn't first gotten to that, that reality of that thing, that, that who am I to ask this new boss? He, he was an old boss and I knew him and he had confidence. But who am I? He's got so much going on. He's got this new company. It's a struggling company. And who am I to come in with such a to me, it just seemed like an extraordinary request. He was in. He was so in, and he was so supportive and uh, excited. And it was, I think I talk about it in the book, it was like I really didn't need the coaching after that because to have come up with the fee, it, the opportunity he gave me to, to go bigger, to go deeper in myself, and the resources would be there. It was just one of the most extraordinary events of, of my life to have it unfold that way. 
Thank you for bringing that to life and and filling in those details because I think there there's so many layers to what you just talked about that I think are that in itself is enough for people to stop and reflect on what gets in our way of asking and the willingness to go deeper to find out what's really behind our hesitation to ask because you had these ideas related to this boss initially that was to me you know kind of this the surface part but there were these deeper issues around your own feeling of who am i to do this and i'm just curious do you remember gina what process you went through in terms of sitting with it listening to overcome that hesitation and decide i'm going to ask for this yeah it would you know largely it was working with reframing it and just honest questions like just around commitment that that me thinking small me making this about my worth is really me failing this company and the ceo and the the challenge of of uh taking on this role at this company it was big and to not do everything that i could to bring everything that i could to the table was it it just was that was it just became uh, just real sandpaper on my values and so i th- you know i think that's one of the heartbreaks of humanity is we're really stuck in these filters and these lenses through which we're we're seeing life and believing what we see and to just you know remove the filter and put another one in there like oh my god they're counting on you mm-hmm. really you're that that's not a big enough reason to you know and it wasn't easy to go up to the ceo and and say hey <laughs> can we talk you know it was that was not an easy conversation but once it was coming from a place of service and about what the objective was about being able to overcome the challenges and what it would take it just moved into a whole other place of love and it was a very loving experience and with with the ceo there i wasn't talking him into anything i wasn't selling him on anything i was just putting forth i was showing him something a possibility and uh Yeah. That is just it's such a, a wonderful lesson I think for all of us to think about reframing as you said when we want to ask for something looking at it as how would it be a disservice to myself or this other person if I don't ask. Yeah. You know, what are we going to miss out on if I don't take this step? as opposed to oh i'm bothering them i'm you know or fear of rejection i mean there's just so many things that like you say we put these filters in and expect things but to come from that spirit of love and service i'm sure he felt that you know people can sense where we're the place we're coming from when we are interacting with them and so 
your whole demeanor, your way of being with him had an impact on on his receptivity, I would think. Absolutely. Absolutely. And when you think about your coaching time with Steve, what would you say were some of the other elements of, say, limitations or beliefs that you held that he helped you to unwrap and and maybe drop off? I love this question. One of the, I'm probably a little bit of a wacky profile of client that is atypical to Steve because a big part of my, um, my, my call to work with him is, you know, in a patriarchal culture that we live in, uh, I have been very bought into some of the classic stereotypes in corporate that have to do with gender, how I would poise myself in a conversation conversation with a male colleague or boss versus a female. And I was, I, I could feel that like the limitations, but they were concretized in me. And they were, there was a way that my, you know, the deep root of it was limiting me in my professional life. And so when I first met Steve, like so many times when I meet male authority, I, I have a, a fight or flight freeze response. I freeze and I really contract and I get into this defended state. I dig down and, you know, the underlying thought, I was even having a, a new wave of discovery on this. There's like this underlying thought, something bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. And so I thought, what better opportunity for me to get free of this than to work with a coach who not only is a master at, at teacher of empowerment and freedom and love and service, but also is, is going to be in one of these male authoritarian bodies. I know this is weird, right? This is probably not what you're used to hearing, but it was so helpful because he was such a safe place for me to just confront all of my, like one, one of the first things that happened is he made me go to Landmark because I came in probably my second or third session uh, talking about how often male colleagues or authority make me feel something, make me feel like a cocktail waitress with no brain or a person to run and get the coffee or, and oh my God, did he get me on that one? And he said, I'm not doing, I'm, we're not, not we're, there won't be one more session until you go do landmark, the landmark course, which was really brilliant and a huge, it gave me a, uh, it just the right context for how the conversation with, with Steve would go over the next four years that nothing happens outside of my own thinking. And so that was just a huge piece of work that helped me get free. And so tell me your original question here was what were some of the other things that, that I. Discovered, uncovered in terms of, of limitations you had. I mean, you, you just touched on a big one in terms of your perspective, 
I guess what other lenses or filters did he help you break away from? I, I think that in my uh, personal development journey, which has been my, my number one priority since I was a kid, the idea that nothing happens outside of my own thinking and the 1,000 ways that I got to see the truth of that through his coaching and support and just how it's still in me now because I catch myself in thinkings or assumptions about life or the world or myself. And he's now embodied in me, Gina, there's nothing happening outside your own thinking. Go get it. What is it? Free yourself. So, you know, there's so many, I mean, he's an enlightened man and his, his, uh, mastery of being and and as it's you know he's an example of it his life is you know obvious there's there's just such a transmission and a download that I received in being in the room with him being one of his clients you know an upgrade incomparable but that would be if I had to characterize it I would say like what will be with me for all of eternity his blessing for me there is nothing happening outside of your own thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so powerful. Well, thinking about your own thinking, the other favorite story of yours from the Book of Being was in uh, Chapter 27 on creation. And it's where he created you as the chief culture officer. And I would love for you to share that story in your own words. What what was the evolution there, the, the spark that caused him to say that, and then how it actually came to be? Yes, <laughs> it was a great day. It was, it was a, well, I'll never forget this day. It was my field trip day at Infusionsoft, who, uh, as you know, uh, Clayton Ask is, is a, uh, one of, or has been, or is, I don't know if he still is, but a Steve Hardison client. And my passion was around culture. It was how I ended my corporate career. CEOs asking me to help shift culture. And, and so he very generously brought me to Infusionsoft for a field trip to look at a possibility of a culture, a corporate culture. And it just blew my socks off being there and, and just watching just the way that employees were, how they were engaged, uh, the, the way that they supported the whole creative process, but also an environment of great integrity and productivity. It was just this beautiful, like the best I'd ever seen of form and formless working together in a dance. Like typically, you know, in corporate, it could either be too rigid or too loose, but, but there was such an amazing creation happening there. And so he brought me there for the field trip and we were sitting in his, por- I had to get in his Porsche to get to Infusionsoft, which I don't do speed. I'm pretty much the snail speed person. I prefer it slower, the better. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so that happens. And, you know, maybe he might drive, you know, fast and, and we go in and we do the field trip and um, some funny things happen there, but that's too long of a story. There were some learnings for me where I'll I'll share a quick one that was very funny. We came out and we got in the car and he was ruffled. Like there was ruffling in his demeanor and, and uh, Steve is very visceral. And he said, 
you didn't follow the play. And I was like, like, law, like, no, no idea what he was talking about. I said, what? He said, I called the play and you didn't follow the play. Well, I got so overwhelmed with my enthusiasm for Infusionsoft that I sort of broke out a little bit and was taking liberties and having conversation. I think I was even in Clayton's office, you know, where I was invited to come and sort of witness a thing. And, and I just was beside myself with it. I was like a little kid and I was very enthusiastic and very, you know, not being mindful of the space and the objective. Totally misplay. Totally misplay, which, so anyway, that was, it was a mo, it was a learning moment of, not you know the blind spots of not being aware and and getting to okay yeah so how to how to manage enthusiasm with some containment and anyway so yeah but it was after that and then you know it's always I love you you know I love you I said okay thank you and so we're sitting there in the Porsche and just you know engaged in a conversation about what my experience was and and he said you know. We were, and we were really, the whole thing is, what is my next version of me? What is my next career? What's my next way that I'm going to be contributing? And we're in the conversation. He says, well, you know, you, you're a visionary. I said, well, yeah. I mean, yeah. He said, CEOs are visionaries. I said, oh, yeah, no. I, ha- I was like, big no, I don't want to be a CEO. I don't know why but at the time it no it was just no but what occurred for me in the when he said that I said but I'd sure love to coach them I'd sure love to help them shift culture and and uh forward their dream and their vision and and that's when he said oh so chief culture officer is kind of how that happened and then I was oh Steve come on what planet are you from? There is no such thing. I've been in corporate 20 years. I know HR. I know what, you know, is going on there. And I was just, I couldn't, like, I was like this. And he was steady, Eddie. He was just hanging in there with me in all this, you know, ranting. He said, just start speaking it into the world and having conversation wherever you are on airplanes. In fact, today, when you fly back to LA, have a conversation with the person next to you. Just start having yourself occur as a chief culture officer. It's who you are. So, so it's like he's saying, get who you are. Stop needing the world to get who you are. You get who you are and watch what happens. And, you know, that was June of 2014. Yeah. And, uh, September of 2014 and the stories in the book of uh, being, uh, you know, at, you know, the CEO of a company asked to meet with me and, and I, I wasn't looking for a job, but if a CEO says, I'd like to meet with you, I would, you know, I use those as opportunities to just have a conversation with visionary, but I wasn't looking for a new position or anything. So I was kind of more maybe candid and loose in the conversation and, kind of wasn't trying to put a best self forward. I was just sharing my experience and my life and my journey professionally. And he just kept leaning in and leaning in, the CEO, Ken Campbell. 
And he said the words, I want you to come work for me and I want you to be my chief culture officer. And I, you know, at this point, I'm like trying to be cool because inside I was freaking uh-huh. out. And I, so I hung out for a second, I said, excuse me. And, and I got up and I went in the bathroom <laughs> and we were at the Newport, uh, the Newport Beach Ritz Carlton in the swank, you know, cocktail lounge restaurant. And I'm in the stall in the bathroom and it's nine o'clock at night, but I had to call Steve. I called him, Steve Hardison. You're never going to believe what happened. And, and uh, anyway, I think I got his voicemail, left a message, or maybe I got him in person. I don't remember, but it was pretty, pretty incredible. Mm-hmm. And yeah. my guess is he was not surprised at all. No, no. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it's such a powerful story. And I've read it, like I said, multiple times because of the power of speaking into the world who it is we really are. I love that you framed it that way. This whole idea of we're not being disingenuous or trying to pull something off where we actually see ourselves that way as we speak it. And it goes back to holding back. Don't you think, Gina, going circling back to the unworthiness? Who am I to say something like this? Do you think that's in there too? Oh, it, you know, I I would call it a crisis of the human species, but certainly territory I know well. And, and, you know, at this point of life, when I'm in that uncertainty, that unknown creating from nothing, when I'm, and I'm kind of in one of those phases again in my life. And there is that, um, yeah, it's just sort of reflex. It's primal. It, it's the first thing that locks me down is danger, danger, red alert, red alert. Let's use the unworthiness uh, tactic to stop her because she's about to go off again and create something from nothing. And it's really freaky and scary. And, and uh, I just I don't know in a way like who I am in terms of uh, this dynamic because creation for me is. Well, I think probably for a lot of people, but it's torture in the beginning. It's a, it's so uncomfortable. And I think a lot of just, I left corporate in 2015. And a lot of what I've learned in the last eight years now, how I've been creating this new iteration and what I love is meditation and all the ways that, all the, the ways that just different ways of meditating and how that can help free us so that we can live the life of our dream. But a a lot of my efforts in the last eight years have been recreating from that old identity, from the vice president of sales, from the chief culture officer, like those were hard won identities that uh, replaced you know, former identities of, oh, I'm just a cocktail waitress, high school dropout, you know, and but I got very attached to them. I got very attached. And, you know, what's exciting about life now is to be able to look at what it's cost me to uh, not be willing to let those go. Just let them fade. Let them, they're dead bodies. That was then. This is now. As if 
you know, the be all end all of my life was to be, you know, an executive in a corporation, which I love and I'm proud of. And I, I worked um, from my whole heart in being my best. And that was the result. I was never aiming for it. That would have given me a heart attack, just my wiring. But I was so awed by how the outcome unfolded just by operating from my heart and doing the best I can and showing up and being uh, willing to think big and muddle through. And, and so, but then, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it was hard to let go of it and start over. Clean slate, I'll be honest. Well, and you know, I appreciate that because I think sometimes we can think, oh, I should have figured this out by now. You know, or why am I experiencing this, experiencing this again? I, I've learned to be more gentle with myself in terms of listening, but not criticizing myself for things like that, that come, the thoughts that come in. And I love what you just said about letting go or letting them fall away. These earlier identities that were important for various reasons and being willing to step into that unknown, recognizing it's going to be uncomfortable at first. And that's okay because it sounds like you recognize that's part of the process of making that shift or moving into a new identity. And I remember in, in our earlier conversation, Gina, you talked about something Steve taught you around relationship creation. And I would love for you to share, because I think that would be very meaningful and relevant to our listeners. Oh, yeah. Thank you. I I don't know why I didn't put this one forward as, um, you know, it was 2020. And I was living in a travel lodge in Ojai that summer uh, on seven liters of oxygen, uh, having just literally escape the the mainstream medical model, the ICU with the help of some just genius doctors. And um Alan Thompson and uh and Amy Hardison invited me to share my story with Steve. It was when that was happening. And I wasn't feeling up to it in a way, just being, just trying to, I was just trying to stay alive at this point. That's another story. Um, it was, just, it turns out it was a stress response, but nobody could figure it out. And, you know, because it was affecting the lungs, it was pretty serious. But in the end, again, it wasn't serious. It was de-stressing more than anything else. So, um, and that was, that's, yeah. So anyway, there I was. And, uh, yeah, the um, the story didn't end up going into the book, but I would say that of all the things, oh, this one will make me weep, <laughs> Meredith, of all the things that I created with Steve Hardison, my relationship with Bob is um, the one that is my greatest treasure. Uh, he's my life partner, my soulmate, the love of my life, and <laughs> So it's, let's see here, it's 2014, 15, and uh, I had been separated five years, had a very beautiful completion to my marriage, and 
was very intentional about partnership going forward and being really clear and intentional in what I wanted in a partner. And so I brought it to Steve. I said, I, I really want to create my partner. And so he really supported me in, well, who is he to you? Who are you to him? And so I did these elaborate, yummy writings about how I feel with you, DP. I call him DP. How I feel when I'm with you, who you are to me, but also who I am to you. And to feel into who I was to him was never an experience I ever had in relationship, and hence probably why they didn't go well, how I was showing up in relationships. So the universe has a sense of humor. I spent a couple years in this process, and oh, my God, it's like New Year's Eve again. <laughs> 2016, this man, he, he, my, our neighbor introduced us. He calls, and he asked me to go to dinner. And it was actually the night before New Year's Eve, December 30th. And I was a little bit, uh, he had called me a few weeks before and said, oh, would you like to have lunch? You're new to the neighborhood. And then crickets. I never heard from him. He calls New Year's Eve and invites me to dinner. And the funny part about this is his name is Robert Hayes and he's an actor. And he's known for some of the most heartfelt movies of our time, Airplane, uh, Homeward Bound, Starman series in the 80s. And I was a little reticent about that part of it, having lived in L.A. for 30 years. Uh, but that the metaphor of star, of stardust, of miracle, of otherworldly, of universe, this man is the embodiment of, he is the most beautiful man, like who he is as a man. And uh, and that that he's a comedic actor, too, was hilarious because my father was a comedy writer and the joke in the family is I don't get jokes and being so literal. So but, um, yeah, it's been six and a half years of just beautiful um, uh, creating our relationship. And, and it is funny. We faced fires. He, he lost his home in the fires in 2018. Like epic flooding. Um, one year it was floods, one year it was fires. It was, you know, life-threatening illness, pandemics, the big, there's like, whoa, 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 we're, we're in this together, dealing with some really extraordinary events that the whole world was dealing with. But, but it was such a test in our relationship of, are we doing this together? Are we, are we doing this, you know, to be, have a partner who loses his home and 20 years and it's a deal. There's some trauma there and there's some, some uh, way that, you know, when you're in union with a person, my, my pain is your pain. My, you know, we're, we're in this, our energies are commingling every day. And, and we have just, you know, continued to emerge in deeper love and commitment. And I, it's probably the proudest thing in my whole life is the quality of loving in this relationship with this man. And he wouldn't be here without Steve Hardison because Steve made me do some really embarrassing hard things in the beginning. Um, I'll tell you one, <laughs> probably the main one. But uh, he said, this is a couple months in, he said, I want you to tell him who he is to you. Now, we've had four dates. And I'm thinking, this isn't how it goes. You don't 
four dates in, have a conversation with a man, you know, letting him know he's your soulmate. Like, no, like what you want, you want to scare the guy out? Like, I said, no, I'm not doing that. And, and yet that deeper knowing in me is, is this is a trust walk and like get outside of your cultural conditioning. And one of the things Steve said is, you know, if he runs good, you know, it's not him. Like, like he set it up in such a way that I'm going to win either way, mm-hmm. but it was, it was still really scary. And at the time, Bob had a really bad flu and we had gone for a drive and, and we had pulled over on the side of the road to look at a view and I reached in my purse and I got, I had this little folded up piece of paper. I'm like, I have to tell you something, you know, I'm like, Nee-. and <laughs> I'm so nervous and feeling just so awkward, but it was my heart and it was real and it meant everything to me. And I just told him who he was to me and who I hope I was to him. He said nothing. And I thought that was it. And six and a half years later, he's that one guy in my life who doesn't talk a big game. He just shows up as a big game. Hmm. He just kept showing up and he just keeps showing up. Yeah. What a beautiful story. We for each other. We show up for each other. Thank Mm -hmm. you. And thank you, Steve Hardison, for your, your brilliant in doing things so wackanoodly differently. Well, it fits because you said you're wacky noodly. <laughs> it does, I would say. But, yeah. you know, it's this whole idea of, of his ability to see in us what we can't see in ourselves and to have that knowing and to speak with confidence. And, you know, the truth is one of the key takeaways for me from the book is there's nothing that he does that we can't also do. We can, we also have that same ability to be that perhaps for someone else in our lives. I love your story and the, the, the push and, and your acknowledgement of the resistance that you felt and yet still followed through because in your heart, you knew it was the right thing to do. I think that's the key thing when we're interacting with someone where we have the confidence that they care deeply about us and they have our best interest at heart and they can see the future us that we yeah. can't see in that moment. And that's what he was able to see. I just, that's such a, a beautiful story. Gina, uh, we can continue talking. We need to wrap up just because of time. And I would love for you to share a little bit about what you're doing today, how people can connect with you and learn more about the work that you're doing in this world. Yeah, thank you. I want to I want to say take 10 seconds to say just adding on to what you spoke is as all of us who care about our personal development are choosing coaches or mentors. The, the thing that made it uh, possible for me to follow Steve's lead is he never asked me to do anything he hadn't already done and that there wasn't evidence in his life that wonderful things are going to happen. So I, I just wanted to say that um, because I do believe in verifying, not blindly following, but really verifying, you know, who we're choosing to lead precious us, to guide precious us. 
So, uh, yeah, so my work is ever evolving in body tape. Uh, it's a movement, breath, and mindset-focused meditation practice. Uh, it's really for anyone who's identified with being highly sensitive or had traumas, there's ways that we do get locked down subconsciously, and uh, it needs a little more than uh, focusing on thoughts. It needs sometimes uh, to be worked out with some movement, uh, with some breath, with just creatively in the body, because that part of us, you know, that part of us is 95% unconscious. It's irrational. It doesn't respond to reason. So those of us who've had, who are highly sensitive or who've had, um, you know, more trauma than is healthy, say there's healthy trauma that the pressure and stress that makes us grow. But then there's, there's ways that people just get stuck and locked down. This, this is my work. This is my passion. And just combining that with neurolinguistics, with uh, working, yeah, working with the mind, working with breath, and really just letting people discover for themselves this this territory that they are of inner resources that you know so much of the information just does come in sensorily, not cognitively, and to be able to uh, identify that as information and then. It's so amazing how our biological intelligence, once we give it license to, okay, what is that? And listen to our bodies, that information, it's so, it's so intelligent and genius. So, so this is my work. There's a new um, launch that, that is me. It's called the biology of being, which really does speak to, and it's funny because the acronym is Bob. <laughs> so. So, so yeah, it really does speak to what my work is, what my uh, contribution is, and how I love to support and serve. That's great. And that's Embodite that combines embody and meditation, right? Is there yes. two and, key? Yeah, it's embodying your, your, your knowledge, your, your thoughts the ones you want to have. It's getting it so felt deeply in the felt sense of your being that it is, it is the becoming of you and it is my journey. And it was part of the compliment that my uh, meditation practice brought to my work with Steve Hardis. And it was a, a, a total marriage and, mm. and uh, very effective for me. So it's, that's wonderful. Gina, thank you. You are such a gift to me, to this community and the world. So thank you for the, the beautiful way you, you show up with love and service today. And I'm guessing every day. And it's, it's just been a joy talking with you today. Thank you. Thank you, Meredith. Thank you for listening. If you know someone who would benefit from today's conversation, please share this podcast with them. Also, we invite you to visit theultimatecoachbook.com so you can continue your personal exploration of being. There you will find links to join our wonderful community, get your own copy of The Ultimate Coach Book, and more. Simply go now to www.theultimatecoachbook.com. That's www.theultimatecoachbook.com. The link is also available in the show notes. We appreciate your support. Be blessed. 
be you.